So ministry school. Yeah. That's right, because you were going to be a youth minister. Yeah. A cool skater. Yeah, I actually, minister. I was, and I did children's ministry. It's, yeah. Right. Is that where we're going to start? Is that where we... Yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's a fucking great place. So anyway, I was still in these lounge chairs. I know how you feel. <laughs> Actually killed his best friend. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I was like, I'm talking about a lizard, man. Tricked some guys into blowing him, I guess. And then like, the whole thing sounds like a bad time. There it is. Hey, uh, <laughs> welcome to the next episode of fucking Discoursers. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Youth minister. Yeah. I got Andrew Apple here with me today. Glad to be uh, here. Long-time comedian. Five years? Uh, yeah, four and change. Four and change? Yeah, yeah. Just, just round up to five. Just make yeah. it seem impressive. Yeah. But then yeah. but then I'll, I'll, I'll be saying five years for two years. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I start saying, uh, this summer I can start saying, you know, about five. Mm-hmm. Once you get past, I feel like once you get past the halfway point, then it's about, you know. Um, I remember my dad, when he was in his 40s, would say, past 44, he would just say he's about 50 for like six years. <laughs> that was his age. Oh yeah, um, and then until fifty-five, you're still about fifty. So it was like ten years there where my dad was about fifty years old. Um, yeah, so sounds like something the mom would do, not the dad. <laughs> you know, that is true. I also may have just made that up. Like whenever, <laughs> so um, I forget who it was. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell. He either wrote a book or an mm-hmm. essay on memories, and like I can't stop thinking about it because he kind of makes the the case that like everybody has these childhood memories that over the years have changed enough, mm. a little bit, each time we pull them up into our brain, that they're completely different than from what actually happened. There's no way to really prove that in most cases, mm. but the more I think about it, I'm like, what childhood memory do I have that either is completely fabricated in my mind or it's 90% wrong, right? Maybe I have this event that going back in time, you would see, oh, it happened at a different place entirely. Right. Or it didn't happen that way at all. Or you have this memory with your mom, and it's like, oh, no, that was your dad or your aunt. And so I'm thinking about retelling that little story about my dad. I'm like, that might not even have happened. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just in That's my head somewhere. That's true, because we, we have to consistently associate old things with the new knowledge. Yeah. So it's yeah. always being reconfigured. Yeah, and, and supposedly there is sort of yeah. like a when you have a memory – like the brain is like rebuilding, mm-hmm. rebuilding it each time. I don't know. And it, it kind of makes me have a little bit of empathy for uh, who's the MSNBC or the NBC news guy who lied about being on a helicopter. Uh, Brian Williams. He lied about like being on a helicopter or something. Okay. Um, and now I have a little bit. It was apparently like a, a, a war story from like early days in the Iraq invasion. And mm-hmm. He told a story about being on a helicopter, like in combat, and it turns out he was actually on one that was like four miles away from the action. But now there's this case that Malcolm Gladwell would make, be like, "Hey, maybe he told the story 47 times, and each time it changed a little bit. So maybe it wasn't him lying to seem cooler. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was, yeah. you know, maybe it was, maybe maybe it was both. I'm not saying either way. I'm just like, well, I, I yeah, I now appreciate it. Well, we lie to ourselves all the time, anyway." Yeah. Even if we mean to or not. Yeah. We want to spin things to where it worked out better for us a lot of times. Yeah. In our head. That we were more of the That's true. That's true. The benign of the parties. Yeah. Guess, yeah. You know? And with everything that we experience, it's also you could have something happen with you and somebody else in the room and five years later you're both telling a different story yeah. because yeah. you both perceived it differently or it impacted you in a different way. I had um, that with a best friend of like 20 years almost it's getting up there yeah and every time we t- he told us to tell a story i'm like wait 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 whoa 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 it was like this it was like this and actually you were naked <laughs> when we no- almost got pulled over yeah, and you were yeah. in my lap and drunkenly trying to get us pulled over because yeah. you well, you thought it would be hilarious if a cop pulled us over and you were naked in my lap yeah yeah and he's that- like oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah that's what he said he still doesn't really remember <laughs> right he's like oh yeah totally uh yeah. it's i don't know if this is true i heard somebody say that like even if you have a case in court and the the biggest most important piece of evidence is just eyewitness testimony that that's not a strong case Indeed. for this very reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure it depends, but um, it would depend on the legal team probably. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's yeah. been proven. Yeah, in society is it almost feels like a game, and the points system is money, and it's like in a game you can unlock 
abilities. And it does seem like in our society, <laughs> the more money you have, the more legal ability you have. Mm-hmm. And like you get to the point where like you can just get away with murder mm-hmm. <laughs> at a certain level. Uh, you know, if you have enough points, you can get away with yeah, whatever. Or you have want. a whole island where there's just nothing but pedophilia. Yeah, yeah. For the longest that, time. That would be crazy, right? <laughs> if that actually happened. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just video game shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's crazy I'm, I'm on the record, but right. Um, so we could start with, uh, yeah, I was in ministry school. That was what's funny is that was the tail end of me pursuing ministry. Like that was the, mm. it, I don't know. Um, so I grew up in church. I'm not going to give my whole you know story, but just to get right. to the ministry I was school. Born part. on a full moon. <laughs> yeah, I was born early in the morning, so there was some moon, I guess. Um, I was, you know, raised in church, evangelical, um, not too weird, you know. Like, there are some people who have an evangelical childhood different than mine. They don't celebrate, like, they don't do Christmas gifts or birthday gifts, and they sort of have these quirky things. But for the most part, I had an average American childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, we did Valentine's and Halloween and Christmas, and we did birthday gifts and birthday parties, mm-hmm. but I was a Christian, right? So... Um, growing up in church, didn't really care for it as a teenager until I was about 16 or 17. I sort of had my own conversion experience, I guess, mm. where um, I really decided that I was going to go all in on Christianity. I started taking it very seriously. I was praying and fasting, um, you know, reading my Bible at school. I was the kid in school, wasn't paying attention to the teacher. I was reading my Bible. Mm. and um, Perfect. And, and so after high school, I didn't go to college. I was like, I'm just going to do ministry. And if I go, I'll, I'll go to some ministry school. But right out of high school, I, because um, I also really wanted to play music. So I was like, I'll be in a Christian band. Mm. You know, I'll do what I want to do. I'll just Christianize it, you know. Um, so I was like, that's what I want to do. I was like, so two things. I want to go into ministry to some degree, and I want to play music. Both things that you don't have to go to college for. Because you look at the bands you like growing up, and you read their stories, and most of them are just like, you know, you start writing songs, you play shows, and you tour. So I, I romanticized that process a lot. about the heroin. And I didn't, yeah. Uh, well, no, Christian bands don't do that. <laughs> Actually, they might. They might. I don't know. You never know. You never know with those guys. So I... Um, I graduate high school, and then I become a children's pastor, and I get married all within like two years. Mm. So technically, my wife and I were children's pastors at our church, and I did not like that. Was that sort of arranged a little bit? Like, did they kind of push you guys together? Not arranged, but, you know, just kind of influence it? No, it was was more influenced by our own peers, not people that are above us. So in like Mm. an 18-month span, we got married, and so did like eight other couples that were all dating around the same time that were around the same age, like 18 to 22 years old. Mm-hmm. There was like a wedding every two or three months with us. And cause it was a, it was a big church. And so a lot of us were on what was called youth staff. So you graduate high school, you're not in youth group anymore, but the youth group was so big, uh, a couple hundred kids that the youth staff was just college kids who would help out in youth. And because youth was more fun than, you know, the boring part, <laughs> what they called big church, which is where adults go. So you would graduate, and then you would stick around in youth for a couple years, operate as youth staff, but you're also not that much older than the kids, so some of them are even your friends if they were a couple years younger. Right. So it wasn't influenced by, in fact, some of the adults in our life tried to talk us out of it. (laughs) It was like the reverse. Um, Mm. Like people that were older than us would talk to us individually, is this, you know, are you sure you want to do this? You don't want to rush into it? You know, uh, looking back, I think they were right. It's definitely some difficult times, but... Uh, so I become a children's pastor, and I don't like it, but this is the trajectory, at least in the type of church I was in. It was, if you want to be in youth, you start off in children's ministry, you learn the ropes, you step up to youth, and you'll do that for five to ten years, and then you become an associate pastor, and then one day you'll be a lead pastor of your own church, okay. which, you know, isn't yeah. the worst setup, you know, because now we have situations where, like, 23-year-olds are planting churches, and they're the lead pastor, and then they make a bunch of mistakes, and it's like, well, yeah, because you're 23. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a bad setup as far as an apprenticeship system. Um, it was also just made up. Like, it was just completely, like, it wasn't an official biblical. It was just, like, their way of doing things. Right. Um, so I became a children's pastor. I didn't like it. And specifically in evangelical churches? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was also working full-time, but because I didn't have a college degree, I didn't have a great job. It was just a job where I was trading my time for money. 
So I, I was doing that and not really liking it, and then I was using my spare time to be a children's minister, also not really liking it, but feeling like, so at the time, I'm all in on this faith and feeling like, oh, this is me paying my dues. I know that God wants me to be doing this because I don't want to be doing this. So that was how I rationalized within myself of like, if I'm, I didn't train, like, I didn't say, oh, if I hate it, then it must be what God wants. But I was definitely like, well, this is the opportunity I have and it must be God because I don't want to do it. And then I was also paranoid about, oh, if I only do something for myself, then I'm being selfish and I'm not serving God. Yeah. So um, whenever our first was born, we stepped away from the children's ministry so I, luckily, I was only there for about a year and a half. You're good. You're good. Okay. I'm just checking levels. And shit. Okay, okay. So, uh, and then went into help plant the church here in Tallahassee. And this was whenever my faith was kind of changing a little bit. I wasn't sh- exactly sure if I believed those things that I said I believed for three or four years. And then my one-year stint at ministry school was whenever I was, let me do some math in my head. I was 23. So 23 mm-hmm. to 24, I go to a ministry school. We actually moved to Atlanta for a year. That's where the ministry school was. And after a year there, we come back to Tallahassee, help plant a different church. And that's where I was the youth pastor for... I like this terminology, though, of planting yeah. a church. You yeah. don't build a church. You don't start a church. You yeah. plant. Yeah, it's a church plant. A yeah. You don't plant plenty of seed, you water it, it grows, right. Right? right? And that's a big thing, like in American church culture, the last like 15 years, uh, church planting has become a very popular, you know, and it's also frowned upon by a certain chunk of Christians, because they're like, you have a town, and instead of contributing to the churches that are there, you're just starting more churches, dividing everybody up. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to really get into all that, because I just don't care that much <laughs> anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Politics. Yeah, so this gets me to 24 or 25, and 25 is really where I start to not just, like, step back from my faith a little bit. I start to question everything. Mm -hmm. Because from 16, 17 to 23, 24, I was all in. And then I start really... Because all those years, the best way I can describe it is... There's a closet in my brain, and whenever I would have a doubt, so you about came out my, of the closet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I take uh, when I have a doubt, I have a question. Right, one question might be, "Where did the New Testament come from?" So I do some research. I don't really find a solid answer, mm-hmm. even though going into that question, I thought I was going to find the answer. I thought I'll just look it up, and they'll be like, "Oh, this is where the New Testament came from. This is how we get those 27 books, or however many there are." Mm-hmm. But I, I won't find an answer, so I take the question and I put it in a closet in my brain. And at 25, it was like one day I opened that closet door to put another question in that I was going to ignore, and a bunch of them just fell out. And right. I realized, like, I don't know what I believe. And it was all dicks. Yeah, <laughs> it was dick-shaped <laughs> theology questions. Right. Um, which yeah, was no, perfect for me. I, I, I totally feel you on that. Yeah. I grew up with a Baptist minister as a dad. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I know the feeling. You try and tuck away as much of the. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm, what about that? What yeah. About the, you just keep talking it away, and so you can't talk it away anymore. Yeah. Um, and so there's this thing that I didn't know was a word over a, until about a year ago called deconstruction, mm-hmm. and it's the least sexy word ever. I hate it. I think I wish they would come up with a better term. It's just so boring, you know. Um, but the like, there's Christians that deconstruct, which is like, you know, it is what it sounds like. You're breaking everything down to the to the roots, to the building blocks, and then building it back up. Well, I'm still kind of in the process of like, I don't know what I believe. Like, I got some criticism from someone that was like, "Oh, you just, you know, you don't want to believe. You just wanna, you just wanna sin and and go go have fun now because you were just tired." It's like, no, no, no. I tried for years to believe. Mm-hmm. I ignored so many questions because I thought, I'm an 18-year-old, I'm 19, I'm stupid. One day I'll understand because these people that I think are really smart believe it with all of their heart. So one day it, this understanding will come to me. Well, that right. never happened. And mm-hmm. the more I read and the more I looked into it, the more it took a, it took a while because I would shame myself. So like for the first year of this process, I was still going to church. I was still like helping in church, teaching. And then I stepped back from that, and then it was every three or four weeks I won't go one week. And then I would start to go, but sit on the front porch of the church. Mm-hmm. I would get my coffee and sit there and not go into service. And then that devolved into not going. And whenever I stopped going to church completely, I realized like, oh, there's this whole other day of the week. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it took a long time to get comfortable. Even whenever I wasn't going to church and I knew that I probably didn't believe what I used to believe. Right. I still felt the shame. Like it was so deeply rooted in like this is what we do. We're Christians. We go to church. Yeah. You know? Stay with the flock. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't easy. So it's like even now, right now today, the easiest thing for me to do would be to go back to church and fall in with that community. There's right. a loneliness to this, but like I can't lie to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be fake like that. Like I'm done doing that. Well, I mean, even if you look at Christianity itself, even Jesus had to walk away from shit. Yeah. I mean, he basically grew up in, you know, the very orthodox like Judaism. Yeah. And then decided, ah, this shit ain't working for me. And he fucking took off. Now, regardless of where you think Jesus was real or not historical, whatever, it doesn't yeah. matter. Even if you take it purely on a, it's just a story. Yeah. That's a great story to, 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 to show people, like, go off and find the wilderness and then yeah. come back. And then now you have a new vision. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of great little parables in there, even the parables that Jesus supposedly told, you know. And I think over the next few years, I'm going to warm back up to Jesus, to the teachings of Jesus. Like, you look at, like, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a whole lot of stuff. Well, you gotta about, be careful like, because every time you go back to an X, it never works out. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> There's a reason to have an X, but you know, hey. <laughs> Actually, my wife was my ex for a little bit, so. Oh, okay. But right. hey, maybe it will. Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. So it's still a long process. Like even though it's been ongoing for me for about six years, five or six years, people will be like, "Well, what do you believe now?" And that's the thing. I don't know. Like I'm not even saying I'm atheist. I don't think I. I have mm. no idea. That's it's more agnostic. Yeah. Well, no, because I do care. Mm-hmm. Like agnost- agnostics are like uh, they don't know and they don't care. That's the uh, apathetic agnostic. Never mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a- agnostic is more on the 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 level of like people that consider themselves spiritual. Yeah. Kind of in a way. Yeah. I um. Catch all term. I have an appreciation for because I can't say either way, you know. Mm-hmm. And one one thing that uh, I remember talking to a, a friend and. Um, we were talking about it, and he's still all in on Christianity. And mm-hmm. and he was like, it's because I would say these things don't make sense to me. And he's like, they're not supposed to make sense to you. And I will acknowledge, yeah, if there's a God who created the entire universe, I am okay with the logic that there are going to be things about that that I don't understand. Because right. there are things that I, I know are real and don't understand them all that well. I'm okay with that, but I'm also like... You know, there's not good answers to some of these questions, even though people think there are. There are answers. Like, why would a loving God send people to hell to burn for all of eternity? Right. There are answers to that question. None mm-hmm. of them are good to me. Uh, yeah. They're not satisfying. Mm-hmm. They don't make sense. And so it's like, that really bugs some people when I say, don't make, it's not supposed to make sense. I'm like, well, I appreciate that, mm-hmm. but I feel like it, it, it should maybe a little bit make sense if, if you're going to believe it. Um, yeah. So it's like, or I the question posed to me of like if you don't believe the Bible then how do you like where do your morals come from what stops you from killing people and I it's fucking like fucking hate that argument here's the thing though I have killed the exact number of people that I've wanted to kill mm-hmm. which is zero ten no sorry <laughs> ten <laughs> those don't count that was right, uh, right. that was pre Christianity yeah that was a uh, you know the 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 blood of the lamb washed those away. Yeah, yeah, It was yeah. fine. I was forgiven. You don't understand. Right, yeah. You just got to go, oops. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mm. remember where we... Oh, yeah, so that that also was like a precursor to like... I didn't go out of the church and into stand-up. It wasn't like bang, bang. Because mm. I was still kind of going to church when I started stand-up. I was still... That was in my phase of going Did once a month. Did you do more of a Christian comedy no, stand-up? No, I was out oh, of yeah. it at that much. Well, I did. I was clean for about a year, year and a half. Even now, like, comics will say, oh, you're clean. Mm-hmm. But, like, church church people, they would think, oh, why do you say boobs? And why do you have that uh, hand job joke? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but to other comics, I'm clean. Because I, I don't even know if I've ever said the F word on stage. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, Me either. I try to just be... <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to be myself, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I broke away from that very early. Yeah, how old were you? So you said your dad was a Baptist? Mm-hmm, Baptist minister. minister. Yeah. Wow. Is he still? Then, no, that was a short brief. That uh, was a brief period of time when he was trying not to be an alcoholic. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and then okay. he became an alcoholic again. Oh. But then stopped going to church. Yeah. But there, there was one instance I remember that, Clearly, that was a 
uh, a dividing line of where like like BC AD almost yeah ironic using after Christ but uh, before Christ but he told me because we, we were listening to a lot of like Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg shit like that you know me and my brother and I was starting to sag my pants a little bit as you did yeah you know of course and he came to me and he said I'm trying to remember the exact wording he said you can't wear your pants like that because it tempts the young ladies to do what <laughs> to, to fuck me i guess or whatever like it gives them dirty dreams about me or whatever it is yeah and told me to pull up my pants and i was like that is the dumbest shit i've ever heard yeah i, I don't it, is this what your religion is about yeah like, i don't i don't so understand when, wait when your dad was a minister you guys were going to church every week with him yeah yeah so what age were you when you decided that maybe you didn't believe that the way that it was, you know? I don't think I ever really you. did. Oh, okay. I never really got indoctrinated yeah. into it. So what sort of, uh, do you have a similar, have you always kind of been on a similar trajectory as far as like your overall view of life, like where you get your life principles from? I know that you're uh, you're into not karate is it karate uh kung fu kung fu mm-hmm. okay because it doesn't that also sort of blend with uh life philosophy stuff oh 100 yeah yeah the movement through space and time and experience and work and discipline and when you're going through that time space yeah life and you can you learn through kung fu and all of the the, the weird like back pack travel and you know train hopping and all that other shit yeah that i did i you learn just to roll with the situation adapt yeah and that's been pretty much i was told by a um a uh i believe it's creek a creek medicine man i did a sweat lodge with him one time and he was asking me if i knew what my spirit animal was and i was like i don't know you know i don't believe in this shit really you know like whatever yeah. i'm just here for the sweat lodge to see what all this, this whole thing is about it's basically where they create like a wigwam type thing and put a bunch of hot rocks in the middle and pour water over it. And it gets so hot that you almost pass out. Mm. So it's like a religious experience yeah. for them. Yeah. And so we're doing that and we come out and he goes, okay, go out and out the woods and, you know, think about it, meditate on it for a second. And I'm out there and I'm sitting on the vlog and I'm just fucking, it's cold as shit outside, but I'm still hot from the sauna and it's all mixing up and everything. And I see this fucking cockroach crawl like right in front of me yeah and i looked down and i'm like you gotta be fucking shitting me i was like for real did you and I, I go back and told him and was he was just spirit? like he was like that's your spirit animal right there he's like do you adapt to things like is yeah. it hard to kill you and i was like oh yeah kind of that's not bad yeah I was that, like, that's pretty kinda. cool actually yeah. yeah and the fact that roaches are actually cleaner yeah than humans yeah would bacteria you, wise would you ever get a cockroach tattoo now on my cock yeah <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. Just just the word roach. Just on yeah. the other side. Yeah. Under underside. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll never see that one. <laughs> Unless I'm like your friend. Not if you keep speaking like that. Yeah, I know. Unless you did put something in my water. We'll see. <laughs> um, fast forward seven hours, we're both getting tattoos on our penises. Let's <laughs> right. fucking get the selfie cam. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were we? So, what? yeah, you were talking about um, basically leaving the youth ministry and starting to brand deconstruct yeah yeah well what i want to ask and you would you, also start a comedy yeah uh before we go back to that i was going to ask you so you decided pretty early on you you probably didn't believe what an average baptist believes so let's mm-hmm. say this like go back to when you were 16 mm-hmm. if posed with the question of where did we come from what happens to us when we die what would you have thought at that time what would i have thought yeah i would say I don't know. Would it be different than what you would say now? I would say I don't know. Okay, you would say you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because at sixteen, I would have been like, we were made by God in Mm -hmm. the image of God, and when we die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Mm -hmm. And the way you go to heaven is by giving your life to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and the way you go to hell is by not doing that. So that was what I believe. That's why I wanted to know because it's like, oh, I would say actually not. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, at sixteen, you would have said that. Yeah, and is that what you would also say now? Or has that changed yeah. as far as like? I mean, if there was a very, if someone was to give me like a very clear answer of where we came from and like what the fuck yeah. is going on, yeah. then I'd be like, okay, cool, that's it, yeah. that's the thing. Otherwise, I, I, I think that the the ultimate point of life is to figure out what life is, yeah, to you, yeah, personally, 
because with every generation and every thousands of years, everything changes and what the meaning of things and the principles and the language and none of that's ever going to stay the same. Yeah. And as I pulled out of Christianity and started looking at other religions and even as far away from Christianity as I am now, I still like have this internal bias favoring it over other religions. Oh, 100%. That's going to last for a while. Even though I'm not, I think it's going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm going to spend my whole life. This is the imagery I have. I have my body, my hands, my feet, my legs all wrapped in barbed wire and then scarred over. And when you're ripping barbed wire out of scarred skin, you wouldn't just rip it all off at once. It would be like you're you're peeling it. You're letting it heal. You're peeling more, letting mm-hmm. it heal. That's the imagery I have in my mind. So I'm like, I'm going to be pulling these things out forever. Right. Um, yeah. Because, like, you look at religions and what people find in religion is hope and answers to life's questions, right? Every religion has an answer to where did you come from? Mm-hmm. What is your purpose for being here? What are you to do now? And after you die, where do you go? Right. And you even find similar stories, similar fables in all of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the Genesis story isn't like singular to Christianity. Right. Like it's not unique to Christianity. Uh, there are similar origin stories from almost every religion. Well, um, I think that I was given the opportunity, and I say that now, I wouldn't have said it back then, but I was given the opportunity for drastic deconstruction. Yeah. Because of all the crazy shit that I was doing, going and experiencing new things, yeah. and doing all this shit. Absolutely. You were already kind of like having a family while you were trying to deconstruct. Oh, this. yeah. And like that, being married, having a family. That was a whole nother level. You can't level. shake like, up that whole foundation because yeah. people have to live on that foundation. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, having kids. Mm-hmm. They're asking the same questions, still going to church. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't daddy go to church? You know? Oh. And these are not. So your f- wife and your kids still uh, go to church or you don't? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And th- through the pandemic, not aggressively. Mm-hmm. Like we were in Chicago like 18 months. They probably went like 18 times. I right. don't know. It wasn't a lot. And that's not like, and I've asked her, I was like, I'll go with you if you want me to go. And I won't pitch a fit because it, it's 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. If you want me to go, I will go. Like if that's part of the agreement we, you know, come to. And she's she's always been really chill about it. She's like, I don't want to make you do it if you don't want to. I, based on where you're at, I don't think it would help anyway. Because when you grow up in church, you're going like as a kid. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and throughout the oh, week yeah. there was some small group, and it was like, and the conferences we went to, church camps. So from birth until like 26, 27, I mean, how many sermons have I heard? Just it's got to be in the thousands, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, for somebody who wants me to be a Christian again, I'm, I don't think I'm the right sermon away from being back there, you know? Um, I don't know what it would take for me to go. You got like, you're having like a, like a Christian rumspringa <laughs> right now. I, 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 I feel <laughs> like I might warm back up to the idea of, you know, like I said, Jesus, some of the New Testament teachings. I cannot envision a scenario where I would ever go back to church, the physical gathering place, right? Mm-hmm, right. I, even but the when belief I was, system on the other yeah, hand. Yeah, I might approach that again, read the Bible again, right. but even whenever I was all in and I thought I loved it, I still didn't care for the Sunday service because it was mostly just, ugh, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I never liked it. I'd always you know, pretend that I liked it. Um, yeah, so I don't know where I'll be with that. And I'm also not rushing. It took me probably two and a half years just to be comfortable not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Because people will check in with me. I'll talk to them like, so where are you at on this? Where do you believe? And I'm like, honestly, I haven't thought about it for, that's what I, I want to not think about it. I want to shut off that storm in my head by just ignoring it for a while. I spent my whole life thinking about this thing. I just want to not do that. But I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Pete Holmes. Yeah. Um, his podcast. He's talked about not being... the podcast. Um, I've seen his comedy and his late night show. Yeah, but... yeah. He uh, so his podcast is called You Made It Weird. Uh, I don't mean to shout it out, but anyways, he he grew up the same way I don't did. listen to that podcast. <laughs> Only listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just this episode yeah, over just, and over just again. This real on repeat. Yeah, yeah. You can even cut out Joey's parts. Like there just, you go. Yeah. Um, so he talks. He got the same upbringing I did. Went to uh, Christian college. Was like. On his, he thought he was going to go into ministry before he discovers comedy, and then he has his own deconstruction, whatever. But now he was he an influence early in your comedy because of that. Uh, yeah, I liked his, his. Yeah, yeah, it was because he's had like people on to talk about this, and it was definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not only for the conversations that he had, but also the people or books he mentioned that I went and read when I was really starting early on in this process. Right. Um, but he now, so he's probably like 15 years past deconstruction and sort of identifies, he's like, I'm a spiritual person, Christ-leaning. Mm. But he's not like a Christian, and I also know he's into like Buddhism. He's sort of pulling from these different, you know, uh, philosophies. Mm-hmm. Um philosophies of life, I guess. And one direction I've kind of gone the last year has been interested in, uh, Stoicism, actually. Oh, Stoicism is fantastic. Like, that's not even a, there's nothing religious about it, nothing spiritual about it. It's just very plain, simple, straightforward information. Yeah. Um, And I like, like, can you do something about it? No? Then don't, then why are you bitching about it? Yeah. If you can do something about it, why aren't you doing something about it? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. I, um, it, the memento mori of it is like, mm. you know, remember death. Like, you're going to die. Like, life is short. Life is actually rare, even mm-hmm. though there's like 7 billion people. Right. Life is short. Life is rare. Like, how are you going to live your life? Mm-hmm. What are your values? Uh, have you read Marcus Aurelius' Meditations? Uh, we have it. I've read most of it. Oh, it's fucking yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. There's parts in it that are outdated, obviously, because he talks about like well, slaves yeah. knowing their place yeah. and shit for that time. Well, I was like, ah, it's a little. Yeah, but, there's definitely but some... But that was cultural norm. Yeah, it's stuff. also, you know, there's some translation, you know, stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've read, like, old texts, and I there's just, like, Ryan Holiday's an author. He has a, a basic stoicism sort of, you know, uh, 101. He goes through the history of stoicism with a few pages on each leader of stoicism as it happened. Mm-hmm. And the stoicism, the st- stoics comes from uh, Stoa Poikile. That, that's how it looks on paper. It's Greek. That's not how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And it was basically a porch where people would gather and they would talk, right? They would have these discussions. And that appeals to me of like there wasn't one know-it-all, even though there's just something innate to humanity that they want that one guy. They want the leader for some reason. Oh, always. It, when we always. think rationally, we're like, that's a dumb idea. But we always, we're drawn to it in so many different, like mm-hmm. there's even Old Testament stories. Like the Israelites want a king. God's like, you don't need a king. Uh, you have me. And then so he gives them, you know, Saul. And now they have to bend their knee to the king, you mm-hmm. know. He's like, fine, you wanted it. This is how it works. And then you look at America now and it's like, there's like 350 million people here. Mm-hmm. Do we really want one dude just presiding over it? Like nobody thinks that's a good idea, but yet we all the president in, isn't the president <laughs> of the United States is not supposed to have that amount of power. No, no. To be that like head figure that's always like, oh, who, who do we talk to in your country? That's the lead person. And they go, oh, the president. Yeah, that's not what that's supposed to be at all. Yeah, he's just he, another part of a three part system that's all equal. And there's supposedly on paper some checks and balances, but we are, it's always, it's it, my whole life, it's been the same. Something's mm-hmm. bad, blame the president. If it's good, the president gets credit. And it's like neither of those things should be true. Right. There's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. Um, but definitely. I, I don't want to get bogged but that, down. But in that, that breaks down into, uh, that breaks down into animal behavior. Mm-hmm. That's all that is. Like we haven't grown past that. Yeah. It's still the lizard brain, like the, the wolf pack mentality yeah, the, the, there's the alpha pack of right? ferrets uh, there's the one alpha yeah. and i wouldn't i don't like the word alpha per se because i think that's just been co-opted by like red pillars and like all this oh, other absolutely beta uh, stupid yeah. shit i was talking more, literally to a wolf pack right yeah <laughs> but know? who was but who was the more competent like who was the most competent person in the situation yeah you put them up just a little bit further so everyone can hear them and you go tell us what to do tell us a general direction of what yeah. you think yeah. you know because then there's also the idea of harmony, right? Um, everybody playing their role, I guess. Um, and will you think about even in pop culture, like or sports, right? Every good basketball player the last 30 years, is he the next MJ? Mm-hmm. It's because people desperately want the next MJ, mm-hmm. even though there's so many good players that can do all these different things, especially on a basketball team, right? The best team is going to be one where you have five dudes on the court all playing their part. Mm-hmm. But we have this thing in Who's us. Who's the lead singer? That's Who's like. Who's the lead singer of the yeah, band? Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's like the next, this guy. We want the one role. Mm-hmm. And it's almost never good right. to think Indeed. like that. Like, yeah. that, you know, it's kind of pathetic. A little bit. You know, um, we got really sidetracked there. So. Oh, we're good. We're fucking, it's a conversation, <laughs> man. Whatever. We're discoursing. It's not like we're fucking saving the world. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, so we one can, idiotic rant at a time. Well, we could put a, a cherry on top of the, uh, you know, the religious stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how we would do that because it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process for me. I, you know, I don't know. I guess I will it. say that the final, uh, the final part of deconstruction, as far as Christianity is concerned, is the hardest. It's the the. Am I going to end up in hell? Yeah. All the other stuff you can kind of work through. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's real. It's not okay. Like okay, I can kind of push this on the back burner. I don't have to do these specific things they say in the Bible because those are kind of outdated, maybe. But then once it gets down to it, even if you believe that some of the things like say like smoking weed and drinking alcohol, you're not going to go to hell. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't know. Like you like hell still exists. Like it's still a place. Yeah. And that's the final. It's the final boss. <laughs> of yeah. deconstruction like you, you approach it and be like fuck like i don't want to spend eternity fucking being tortured in magma or yeah what the fuck it's ever. uh it, it, there are central beliefs to christianity right mm. i don't know so someone okay here's some it's jesus is the son of god mm-hmm. he died and he rose from the dead that's crucial like there are these families right so if you have a different belief about whether um, you know, this book should be in the New Testament versus this book. Mm-hmm. A Christian would say, that's my cousin. We're not in the, you know, we're not immediate family, but we're in the same overall family. Right. But if you were to say, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, you're not in that family anymore. You're mm-hmm. in a completely different family. You're right. not even a third cousin. You're Jewish. <laughs> that's, that's what <laughs> it is. Or literally like, anything else, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, hell is maybe one of those beliefs, but I also know people that are Christians, Mm. That ninety-five percent of what they believe is almost what I would just say is the average belief of a Christian. Don't believe in hell, or don't mm. believe hell is eternal. They're like hell is a purifier. You're not being purified forever because hell. Oh, so instead of hell, it's more of a, a purgatory. Kind of, yeah, or hell yeah. just for a short period of time. Mm. Um, hell is the crux of the American Christian pitch. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with what the altar call is. Mm-mm. So at the front of the church, you have the altar, and an altar call is like at the end of a sermon. A is this pastor... part where the kids get fucked. That... <laughs> You're thinking that's a completely different denomination. Oh, okay, okay yeah. gotcha. Yeah, we would always face them in a kickball game. Um... <laughs> <laughs> See, I had to say that. Now I lost my spot. This is an altar call, Joey. Altar call. Altar call. Go ahead. And so you have the pastor at the end of a sermon. The altar call is asking people who aren't Christians if they want to be Christians. But mm-hmm. he's not just saying like this is what we believe, God's love, etc. He has someone behind him on keys playing a minor key. So already the mood is somber. Right. And then he's right. like, if you die in a car crash on the way home, where will you go? Yep. Hellfire. That's the crux of the American Christian pitch. It's mm-hmm. don't go to hell. Like they'll say it's not as important as like these other parts of God, but like they definitely use fear as a tactic. Well, it's a negative reinforcement. And they so use positive music. They yeah. use music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I think one of the interesting things about deconstruction is I would encourage every Christian to at least look into why they believe what they believe and, you know, not go into it biased. Mm-hmm. Try to really, like, if you didn't, if you weren't raised in the evangelical church in America and you just got the Bible, how many times would you have to go through it before you believed in some sort of eternal fiery hell? And let's say you could just magically read uh, all the foreign languages that it's actually written in. Right. Because, you know, you look at where hell is mentioned in the New Testament, and you translate it, go back to the original, and very few of it is like some eternal damnation or fire that's just sort of been constructed. Um, You know, I don't know, maybe it's a byproduct of, you know, American commercialism. Yeah. (laughs) Just straight up marketing. I consider consider the hell part of Christianity to be up there with revelations. Like both of those together. They're both very stern yeah. talking to yeah. yeah you know to the flock or the sheep or whatever it is yeah you know yeah so i think hell was actually one of the first big things for me that went out the window oh so you oh so you went first with that okay um, all right hell and the new yeah. testament like mm. there is no it's crazy there is no solid answer for how we got the version of the new testament that we have there's a few there's now it's not that there's a hundred attempts at an answer. There's like seven to ten schools of thought that most biblical scholars, even like non-religious biblical scholars, 
they'll be like, oh. Historians. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, there's some that think like Ephesians was like uh, a complete forgery. Mm-hmm. But most Christians believe it was written by Paul. It's a Pauline epistle, mm-hmm. right? And that stuff I don't get hung up too much on. But if you're basing your entire religion on this book, and then you come to the conclusion that some of it might not be true. Mm-hmm. Well, now you got to figure out well which part is true and which part isn't. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, things get really dicey. That's why I've talked to people like this. Like you just got to decide to. You basically have to choose to be all in. Like I am going to believe every single word in this book, and that's how I'm moving forward. You know, because then they'll be like, "Well, the Holy Spirit put it together." And I'm like, "Okay, so the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. decided to have Jesus say nothing about homosexuality, right? <laughs> but you're pretty aggressive about it." Right. Right. <laughs> All right, we got to move on from this. Like, I, just, uh, I could just ramble on. There's one one more thing on that is that uh, the whole saving someone like yeah. when you get saved, when you finally like uh, pledge your undying love and devotion and obedience to Jesus, basically, yeah. Yeah. which seems like a usurpation of God, yeah. kind of in a way, you know, kind of like a I don't know what was that thing that in the commandments? Oh, a golden idol? Yeah, I don't know. golden but, calf. Yeah, golden fucking calf. There's a lot of pressure behind that, and like there's a whole psychological uh, path yeah. that they take to get you to that point. And it was intense. Like I remember my dad doing that to me and I just like basically metaphorically and literally backed me into a corner Yeah, to get me to say it. I didn't mean it. To get you all. to like say the prayer? Yeah. To, like just, to get saved? You don't even really have to say a specific prayer in yeah. baptism. All you have to see, all you have to do is say like, I want to be saved by the blood of Christ or whatever, yeah. whatever wording you want to use, but you have to mean it. I did not mean it. Yeah. At all. I can tell. Coerced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually here on a mission. So. Ah, got it. <laughs> this well, whole thing was a grift. You're going to fail like the rest. No, I feel like. Wait until uh, those roofies kick in from that water. That's my, that's my, uh, my last, uh, my last, uh, shot at comedy is I'll just go back and be a Christian comic. You know? <laughs> um, <Beesh. laughs> no, that was. I don't think I'd ever do that. Even if I was a Christian, I wouldn't want to do Did that. Did you ever, yeah, have you ever written a Christian joke? Mm, what do you mean? Have you ever written a joke that's basically about Christianity? Uh, I don't know, but no, it's some it's, Jesus or well, it's apostle. It's something I want to talk to, but every time I go into it, I think if someone didn't grow up in church the way I did, no one's going to get this. You know, I think people yeah. in America, even non-religious people, are familiar with Jesus. I don't think I'm going to say Jesus, and they're going to be like, what? Who's he talking? Yeah. Jesus? Like, who's right. he talking about? Um, but then I sometimes I also, it gets niched down. But I do have one about, like, uh, you know, it's an impression of Jonah's wife. Are you familiar with Jonah? Got swallowed by the fish. Right. By the, swallowed yeah. by the whale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an impression of his wife when he gets home and tells her where he was. And she, I, just, she doesn't yeah. believe him, you know, because yeah. he was swallowed by a fish. <laughs> She's like, so you're telling me. What right. you're trying to get me to, you know, it's just this play on, like, if that happened in modern times. I don't even know if he had a wife. Um, but, like, it, it's something I've occasionally thought about working in. Mm. Um, I just haven't found a way to make it funny. That's my thing with comedy. I try to make make it funny. Oh, what the fuck is that all about? That's, that's one of my big focuses. I'm, I'm not. I'm not of that school. <laughs> I am not of that school. A different denomination. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally different. Yeah. Um, so speaking of different uh, uh, denomination, uh, last night we started the first recordings for uh, "So You Bombed." Yeah. And we did that. I think for like 13 minutes was yours. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like, like thir- it was like 13. I thought about it and I thought that was like three to five minutes. That was 13. I might minutes. I might cut it back a little bit just be like okay. I wanted to go max 10. Yeah. On it, but uh, it won't be hard. To, it won't be hard to edit that. Yeah. But that's a new thing that I just want to tell everybody about. I'm gonna be connecting it to this podcast, this channel, and just kind of an offshoot of it, and it's gonna be video only. Sorry, audio only for now. But it's basically me interviewing. Uh, comics like yourself and your yeah. Apple after the show and just say, so you bombed yeah, and see what the fuck happened. Like, how, yeah. how do you think you did? Like in little pointers that people can pick up about comedy, you know, and how people approach it, what's their psychology behind it? What's the writing process? Yeah. I love the idea. I love it. Uh, it's going to be really a channel only it. comedians are going to watch. But. Yeah. Well, I think there's so many comedians now though. There's like, pro- there's probably more open micers ever than there ever has been, like right now. Um, you can make, you know, you could have a decent audience of just comedians. 
And I can start a whole course, you know, <laughs> sell an ebook. online course. Yeah, no, no, you, you have the course and then you, you give an ebook away for free in exchange for their email. And then you bomb their email trying to sell the course. There's a process to these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called click funnels. No, I'm right. Um, I liked it. So it's called, so you bombed, but it's not necessarily saying that you saw them bomb. Right. I just want to say that just to make them uncomfortable right off the bat, because it, fucks with people's confidence yeah, immediately because yeah. you always had that thought process in the yeah. back of your head like did i bomb did yeah. i think i did good but i didn't yeah well it's a great name for a segment like yeah. you know and i liked it it was it was a really interesting way to immediately detox a set i really liked like i i know i keep i'm not just like you know buttering your bread i really yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoyed it i think it's and i think it's a great idea um i also think my little suggestion was oh, you know a great idea like standing at like the coach going into right. the locker room at halftime. And then it, that's more of like a one minute thing. Like, how did you do? How did it, you know, or maybe you could blend the two. Maybe if it's 12 people, you can get like four or five of them to do the exit interview. And then, you know, four or five of them to do the fiver, you know, and now you got like a half hour episode. Truth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just spitballing yeah. here. That could work. Absolutely. 100%. I like that. Yeah. Cause some people really don't have, I mean, they barely have five minutes of material on stage. They're not going to have five minutes yeah. of material on podcast. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm hating on them. They're learning. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. still new. But yeah, yeah. There was a there was a struggle in one of them last night of trying to get the conversation. Like, okay, let's yeah. you know, fucking yeah. give something to me here. Yeah, you know, it's getting awkward. Yeah. Oh, was it? It was just silence. A little bit. A little bit. A little, yeah. little bit. A little awkward. Yeah. But but she's still very new. Yeah. It's big. It actually turned out pretty well. Yeah. Like near the end, because you started to like open up a little bit more. But she's never done a podcast or anything. She's like 18 years old. Yeah. 19 years old. So yeah. completely understandable. Yeah. Um at first I was like, oh, are you gonna name the person? <laughs> and you just went for it. Well, I mean it's gonna be on here. So they're gonna be able to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, I like that idea. It's what were we I lost my train of thought. That never happens. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Comedians definitely do not have ADHD. <laughs> no, definitely we, do not. We don't have trains of thought. Yeah. It's more of like you know, Hot Wheels, just flying around, just crashing into each yeah. other, um, doing loops. Yeah, yeah. I I like the idea, and this is what's cool about content like that. Like, let's say in like fifteen years, because you had Matt Fowler on, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say in like fifteen years, Matt Fowler is like famous. He has a couple specials, and then they do like a documentary or like a half hour documentary on him or something. That's the kind of clips that they'll pull. Be like, hey, this is you like one year, two years, and however you know long he's been doing it. Um, just having that stuff out there, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, you know what's crazy? Uh, speaking of Matt Fowler, um, who has some funny fucking jokes on stage, but he like some other newer comedians, they're kind of used to shows not having a lot of people sometimes. Yeah. And it's just comedians in the audience yeah. and maybe like some regular fucking pickled regulars at the fucking bar, yeah. the dive bar or whatever. So they had this habit of heckling and interrupting and all these other things. And it's really strange for me to think that like I'm in the place to be like, hey, man, like you got to like there's places for this. You know, like yeah. you do it here at Kava at the Midtown Kava Lounge, the show that I run. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this <laughs> random show off the top of my head. Oh, just Mid yeah. Midtown Cava yeah. Lounge. Runs by this great guy named Joey. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's shows that you can do that, yeah. you know. But if there's an actual audience and like the vibes going and people are trying to work on their flow, you know. And I was, I've had to tell at least like two or three people to like, hey man, you got to chill out with the interrupting and trying to join in. And yeah, it's always weird when it comes from comedians because mm -hmm. they they're always it's always what good intentions. Mm -hmm. And I've done it, not recently, but I know I've done it before where I've shouted something because it's just in your head and you just say it. Right. Um, but I haven't done it. I don't think I've done it recently. But, yeah, it is kind of weird whenever, like, it comes from comedians. You're like, you know, it was a rhetorical question. They don't really want to talk to you. Right. It's also, I think a lot of comedians are uncomfortable with silence. Yeah. And I like to, I like to have silence in my sets. Yeah. I like to be able to build that tension a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not super good at it but i'm get, i'm starting to get there you know yeah. working with it and it's malleable but when there's that silence they think that i've run out of shit to say and i'm bombing yeah when i'm not i'm just taking that moment just yeah. to kind of let everything simmer well, you, down you're pulling them in you know exactly i've actually had that work a few times if like there's chatter in the back mm -hmm. and then i go into a story and i start talking a little bit softer and a little bit softer and for some reason on occasion the chatter stops and i'm like wait 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 what's going on like mm. Um, well, it's because now they're noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's, they don't want. They, oh, that's right, because yeah. they heard themselves because of the silence. Mm -hmm. There you go. And then so, everybody's looking over at them, like, 
What, what the fuck, dude? Hey, uh, middle of a story, I really like silence. Right after a punchline, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, I try to work with it, but I'm like, mm. Right. They're laughing on the inside. Yeah. That's all that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, speaking of like shows that it's just comics. Sorry. That was my, uh, did it sound like I was about to cry? <laughs> so you're breaking down over no, there? Like... In my throat. Um, that Welcome was my, back to BetterHelp.com. Yeah, that was my experience in Chicago. Now, I never did Chicago comedy pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. but I mean, we could talk about this a little bit if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's go for it. Sort of detox my experience. Um, it was. I, I have actually done a couple open mics before I moved there, so I sort of had a feel for the. You walk in and there's a sheet of paper numbered one through fifty, and you find wherever you want to sign up on the list. You know, there are some reserved spots. Um, there's some things I like about what they did and some things that I was just like, like being in a room with 25 other comics and after each comic goes, they leave because they're going to another mic somewhere Mm -hmm. else. And then the ones who haven't gone yet, they're the only other people in the audience and they're looking at their notes and I understand. Bartender doesn't give a fuck. People romanticize the grind because you hear stories from all your favorite comedians who did it in New York and in Boston or DC or you know Portland, LA, wherever, and you sort of romanticize it because yeah, what these comics are doing is they're looking back on eight years of doing this, and their brain has told them, "Remember those seven good moments? Yeah, yeah. this was the, all the time. Remember, right. you know." So I appreciate the grind, <laughs> and I'm not saying, but like, right, it sucked to do that and have a two drink minimum. So you'd pay, you know, the cheapest drink would be like five fifty. So you're paying like eleven bucks plus a tip, like three bucks. Now you've paid fourteen dollars to do three minutes of I like comedy this man. and I like that. You know what? People. I got an applause button here <laughs> for the three dollar tip on two drinks. The three dollar tip. Yeah, three dollar tip, two drinks. It's do it more that, often. It's that insecurity of just like wanting everybody to like me, <laughs> even the person giving me. Oh, drinks. so it's not selfless. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> no, no, it's just <laughs> crippling, crippling desire to be liked. Um, I was going to name this episode Tip Jesus, but again, <laughs> whatever. Um, I probably would have left the church at like 24 if I didn't care what people thought of me. Right. Uh, no. Um, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago yeah. comedy. And I met a lot of great comics. Um, that was my experience with the mics. Some of the mics would be good, you know. Some, sometimes there would be people that weren't comedians there. Um, it, it started to cost money. It was crazy. Like if you did three open mics in, in four nights where two drink minimums, now you spent... 45, 50 bucks for transportation to do these open mics. And right. and you're not really a huge drinker. You stop to see the uh, the benefits of it. You're just like, what am I doing? Like, mm. even if you get the comics to laugh, I don't think that's super helpful either. Because right. it's like, this is not your ideal audience for these this material. So you'd have mm-hmm. to get on showcases, which is where networking came in. I wasn't good at it. I was tired. I didn't want to do it. Um, so I would submit tape for some showcases, never heard back. Um, and like I said, I, if I would have hustled it a little bit more, but I was just worn out. I was like, I don't have the emotional energy right now to go out and, you know, try to schmooze people. Right. Uh, is that a word? I think that's a word. Yeah, schmooze. Yeah, <laughs> schmooze. yeah, yeah we're going And there. I was like, I still enjoyed, you know, what, why I was, you know, when I was there doing what I did, because it was pretty cool to all of a sudden be like six nights in a row. You're also getting up each night. Um, but there's a there's a comedian Stephen Hofstetter. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, he's a roast comic, crowd crowd work comic. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, he does a lot. So he does a Q and A at the end of his shows, mm-hmm. and then he posts a lot of those videos online. So yeah, he does a lot of crowd work. Um, he did a Q and A on Reddit like five years ago, and somebody asked him about you know you start comedy somewhere. What are your thoughts on how soon do you go to the big city, to L A, Chicago, New York? How soon? And he actually he said if you're five years or less in. He was like, you need to get to a medium-sized city and basically goes on to describe kind of what we have here in Tallahassee. And he says, you're going to be able to do more minutes on stage at a time. It's not going to be two minutes here, three minutes here. He said, you're actually going to have real audiences. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's just a restaurant or a cafe where half the people didn't even know there would be a comedy show, what you have are real people. And you're actually going to get paid faster to do 15, 20-minute sets in the surrounding areas. And he's literally describing the Tallahassee comics experience. Right. And now that I've experienced this and the big city and came back and I'm like, whoa, this is, there's something there. And he even goes on to say, if you were born in New York city, 
he said he would move to a smaller area right. to start. Like that's how that's how big he was on this point he was making. Yeah. And, now and you know, I, it's only recently in Tallahassee gotten to the point where I just can't get on any show that I want. Yeah. Like, but probably about three months ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah. It was like, I could just, somebody's like looking for someone. I was like, oh yeah, I'll take a spot. Yeah. And like almost immediately got it. Yeah. And now there's more and more people come, which is a good thing. And there's more shows. Yeah. Like if I hit up the Kava mic tonight, that's seven shows in seven nights for me. Oh, fuck like, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause, and because my goal right now with where I am in stand-up, a little over four years in, I want to build the hour, right? Mm. I want to start looking at all the stuff I've done over four years. And it, it's not going to be a good at first. It's still going to take a few more years before it's like whatever good. I don't know. But I want to build it. And I felt like when I was in Chicago and when we decided to move, part of the rationale I used for the comedy side of it, the reason we moved back was mostly family and kids, which is way more important than comedy. But I did think about the comedy aspect. And I think big cities are still better for – if you want to audition for things and if you want to, if you have time, like it's not that I don't have time. It's just that I am, I'm approaching this differently than the 19 year old who's living with three other dudes and you can right. experience a city in a much different way than, you know, what I was doing. Indeed. Um, for me, it was like, I really, I'm trying to hustle this thing out while I have a wife and kids, you know? So I'm trying to be the family man and also do this thing. I was like, I'm taking it really seriously and whenever I thought about like, okay, how can I get to that hour? I need to do longer sets and I need to be in a position where I can start going on the road a little bit. And mm -hmm. just the foundation of Tallahassee, like you can totally have a career having a sort of, especially since the pandemic sort of shifted the center of gravity of comedy in right. general. Yeah. Like I think you could totally be in a, a secondary city and use that as a foundation. I mean, I opened for two guys a couple of weeks ago in Bainbridge, one guy out of Savannah, Georgia, who are, and one guy out of Cincinnati. Neither mm -hmm. of those are big cities, and they've built careers as a like using those as foundational places. Like I think that's possible, and I like oh, yeah. I really like the Tallahassee comedy scene right now. Yeah, I'm I think a fan. there's a really big possibility that five to ten years from now, a few people have popped off. Like there's a lot of talent, um, and the more talent, the the better everybody gets because the better you have to be. Because even though most people won't admit it we're really competitive we do compare ourselves even though this yeah. is art right yeah. like you can have five different people be equally as funny in different types of comedy oh i found myself you know? getting jealous multiple times when jamar first popped off back yeah. on the scene again i was like this motherfucker mm. is just naturally funny oh he's so funny he's so fucking yeah, and funny he's, and he's just getting started like. and i could feel the jealousy just bubbling up yeah the fact that he's also so young i know what when is he's he, 19, starting 20 uh 22 22 22 man see so like, that's young as fuck. i was 28 when i started mm. and i'm looking at that i'm like at, at the was, rate he's I was like going 39 40 yeah like 39 yeah. years old i was like dude i really wish i would have started back then, yeah dude i was god damn we this is going back to stoicism you got to take where you are in life and move forward exactly um now you should do that i'm gonna whine about not starting <laughs> earlier right but one benefit right, right. we do have is we we have life experience to pull from so 100%. for someone who starts comedy at like 17 or 18 they are going to live their whole adult life sort of always having this third eye of how can I make this funny on everything that they do, you know? Yeah. You're, you, when you get married or when you have kids or when you go to school, working your job. So that is one benefit of starting later is you have everything real is a life experience bit. to pull from mm -hmm. without having to break the fourth wall all the time in your head, you Definitely. know? Definitely. Um, yeah. But yeah, Jamar is so funny. Uh, you also have a lot more, uh, you know yourself. So you know how you study, how yeah. you write, how you yeah. memorize things. Yeah. And that helps out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, but yeah, Tallahassee comedy scene is bumping right now. I like it. I, I like it a lot. Like Fire Betty is kicking off hard. You can get up multiple times a night and you can waltz into 10 and 15 minute sets, which is a, whenever you're in a position. They even gave like, me a 15 minute set <laughs> one time. And I was like, what? Yeah. It's twice actually. It, whenever, uh, whenever I was looking at like, I was in Chicago and we were talking about moving back and I was like, what are the next three to five years look like for me? I got to get to that hour. I just didn't have the juice to make enough connections in the Chicago comedy scene. Like there wasn't anybody I met that I was like, oh, I hate that person. Everyone was really nice. Right. Everyone was really nice. Everyone was really funny. It was a great community. I just didn't have the time to plug in because, you know, my focus is family. Mm -hmm. And to be able to plug into a scene like that, you just got to be 
a dude living with three other dudes and you guys are doing stuff every night, even if it's not comedy and you know, you're growing together. Right. But like I come back to Tallahassee where I already know these people, I have these relationships, dude, I'm just rambling. I forgot where I was going. No, I mean, it's starting <laughs> to get a bit more in towards that direction, like the grindy direction. Like you just have to, you have to be there all the time to like stay in the loop. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah. It's starting to get a little bit more that way. You're talking about like in Tallahassee. Yeah. In Tallahassee. Yeah. Yeah. I, cause there, cause there's just more shows. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I appreciate people that approach comedy as a hobby, but I also appreciate being alongside people who also take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that people who use it as a hobby don't take it seriously. What I mean is like people who are like, I literally want to do this for a living. Right. That's where I want to do, you know. Um, and it's beneficial for guys like me or like you that are going to be here. It's also beneficial for us to know the younger comics who are going to move to New York and L.A. and Chicago because mm-hmm. that's a connection for us in that scene. Um, Definitely. Like, you know, I think that's important too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, the shows are good. You can get up, you can be on stage. You might get on stage four times in a row in Chicago Mm. or eight straight sets that still doesn't, you know, equal the amount of time you can get on stage in two nights here, you know? Right. Cause they're all three minute sets. That's 24 minutes. If you have two 15 minute sets, that's a half hour. I did a, I did one three minute set in New Orleans when I was out there and I was still fairly new. Um, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. Uh, It was just all ranty, no punchline still. Kind of like it is now. Yeah. But no, a, it, it was a three minute. And I was like, what the fuck are you supposed to do with three minutes, dude? It's an art like, form, baby. Yeah, <laughs> like it's fucking what? Yeah. You got to make that shit tight. Yeah. There was a, there's a, in Chicago, there's a club called the Comedy Bar. And what they would do during the week, like Sunday through Thursday, uh, weekends, they would have like headliners, whatever. Sunday through Thursday, they would do a showcase and it would be eight to 10 minutes for like seven or eight comics. And right after that, they would roll into an open mic. And it was the only three minute open mic that I liked because you would have an audience who paid to be there. Mm. They were loving it. And it was just like bang, 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 bang. Like that was my favorite open mic that I did. Nice. So in that situation, I really liked the three minutes. I mean, I would have liked it to be more, but I understood it. Right. Um, but yeah, you go to like, there's nothing like a three minute open mic with a two drink minimum. That is just, I know I've said it before already on this right. podcast. I was like, <laughs> I started th- like one week I spent like 48 bucks Oof. on mics and I was like, man, what am I doing? Yeah. You come here, you perform at birds, you get a free beer. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. You yeah. know? Um, and I was like, that's like the complete opposite experience. Yeah. Like it's, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Dig it. I fucking love the comedy scene here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like 99% of the comics. Yeah. Let's go ahead and end it off there. All right. Awesome. We're, I Let's think do we're it. a little over an hour. Nice. Yeah. A little over an hour. Yeah. Andrew Apple, thank you for coming. Joey, I really enjoyed this. Comedian. Funny as fuck. Thank Check you. him out. Social media. Uh, Instagram, Andrew underscore Apple. Uh, Twitter, Andrew underscore underscore Apple. Or AndrewAppleComedy.com. Links to all those. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you for coming out. It's right, awesome. Thanks. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs>